Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. sprint this morning so if you're ready if you've got bibles go to hebrews 10 and it will appear up behind me as well Mohammed very uh, gracefully doing that at about 30 seconds notice this morning so well done um so yeah hebrews 10 verse 17 says i will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more i will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more so Hebrews, book of Hebrews, was written thousands of years ago. Uh, and this particular line is quoting uh, an, an even older book, which was written probably about 500 years before that. And it is a promise made by God. And he is promising a time. He's promising a, a, a period of history, a period of time, a moment when everything completely changes. When all the rebellion against God, against him, of putting things above him, of worshipping things that aren't him, of living for ourselves, of looking to meet our own needs first, of any destructive habits of self-centeredness, of oppressing the poor, of running after power and wealth, all of those things that we put before God, all things that bring guilt and shame to us, all sin, all lawless deeds, all of those things, God says, will not be remembered. Not only that, there is a time, and this is what this promise is saying, there is a, a time, a moment, when the power of death, uh, the, the uh, power of evil, will be broken, when they will finally be defeated. And the author of Hebrews, a person, whoever it was, who wrote this, uh, this letter, A couple of thousand years ago says that that time is right now. We live in that time. And uh, in 2021, in Manchester, the northwest of the UK, in Europe, on planet Earth, we live in that moment when sin will no longer be remembered, when evil is defeated. And actually, we can say that about ourselves. Perhaps some of the the things that we've done, maybe there are things we feel some guilt about or shame about, or we look at the world around us and we can say, you know what, sin will no longer be remembered. Not only that, we can say our sin, those lawless deeds, they are, are dealt with. And we'll look at that a bit in a moment. We can say about ourselves, we can say, my sin is no longer remembered. We can also helpfully say it about each other. Perhaps uh, if there are people that have sinned against us, we can say their sin is no longer remembered. We can declare it over Gorton or Manchester. We can say their sin is no longer remembered. We are forgiven. Death is defeated. So we're going to look at how this is even possible. 
We're going to look at the sacrifice of Jesus. And it's important that we get this, and it's important that we constantly come back to this. And it's important that it's not just a head knowledge. I think, okay, I, I intellectually believe, right, Jesus died on the cross, my sins are forgiven. I believe that, and then it, we just carry on with our lives, and it has no impact. So it's important, actually, we walk it out day by day, this forgiveness. It is as important today, this is important in your life, in your families, in your jobs, in your heart, in the quiet place that no one else sees. It's important today as it was 2,000 years ago. So we've been reading through this book of Hebrews together, and Hebrews constantly emphasises a few very familiar themes. It kind of keeps coming back to it. So much so that uh, some people think that Hebrews is a series of sermons that have been put together uh, by the same preacher. And he, whoever it is, keeps coming back to these themes. And one of these themes is how Jesus forgives us. How he makes a way for us. It says that. How we can come into the throne room of God. We can walk into the presence of the creator of the universe and we're not thrown out. God being so holy, so perfect, that he can't look at unholiness and perfection. And yet we walk in and he welcomes us and he is pleased to see us into the throne room of God. How is that possible? Well, only Jesus restores us into that relationship. Only Jesus restores us, actually, to our original purpose, the true meaning for our lives, which is to be worshippers of God's. And we actually, we need to hear this again and again. We need to remind ourselves of this and live this out. We need to keep remembering this powerful work of Jesus. This work of Jesus that actually changes our very lives, can change the lives of our family and friends, perhaps even can change our neighbourhoods and our city. And nothing or no one on earth can do that. No one else. No one else can actually say your sins are forgiven and it be a meaningful statement. We can say I forgive someone and there is some sort of change there but it can't do the restorative work. It can't give a new future like Jesus does. And why is that? Because Jesus does it by sacrifice. Not by our sacrifice but by his. And again, it's important that we live in this truth in this reality, the sacrifice of Jesus. And we're going to read through uh, Hebrews 10 uh, and just the first 18 verses. We're going to take it step by step and look at the sacrifice of Jesus. And firstly, we're going to see that sacrifice is needed. Okay, So we'll just read the first four verses. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, there's a lot going on here. So let's just understand it real quick. So in Jerusalem, at the temple, 
they sacrificed a lot of animals. That's what they did. It was uh, the ritual that they went through every week, every month, every year. The priests were very, very busy. And what were they busy doing? Sacrificing animals to God. Animals that were brought to them by the people as offerings for various things and for their sins. And the author of Hebrews says this was a shadow of the good things to come. Okay, it was a shadow of something. So, I love my wife Vicky, that's her sat there. And uh, she has a shadow. It's not something we see very often in Manchester, but when it's sunny uh, and she stood in the right place, there is a shadow. And a shadow is just a hint about who she is. There's no detail in a shadow. There's actually not a lot of purpose in a shadow. The shadow cannot do anything. It is a a distorted picture, actually. Uh, And perhaps if I was stood somewhere and Vicky was camera behind me and the sun was in the right place, I'd see a shadow first and then I would see Vicky. But I wouldn't then look back at the shadow and talk to the shadow, would I? The shadow, it becomes irrelevant when you see the actual person. The shadow is a, a hint of something much, much better. Something real. Something actually that has a power, that has purpose. So even though this temple that was in Jerusalem at the time was very impressive, it was so impressive that parts of it are still there thousands of years later, very impressive building, it is not that powerful. The ritual that happened there was very impressive. Like I say, the priests were doing stuff every day. They were on their feet constantly. We'll look at that in a moment. Working hard to get rid of and kill all of these animals. And then they had to do very specific things with what was left over. It was a real ritual and it was very impressive. And it looked very important. And there was a lot of effort. But ultimately, it was powerless. And whoever wrote Hebrews says, actually, this sacrifice didn't even deal with the actual issue. It says it didn't make the people perfect. actually didn't restore them. So why were these sacrifices needed? Why did they do it? Why did actually God institute this? Why did it, why did it take place? Well, this idea of a shadow, actually it was a, a hint towards something better. By them doing it, they are pointing forwards in time, really, to something much better, something that would actually deal with the issue, that would make them perfect. And it was also a reminder of their sin. It also was to stop them from being complacent, to remember, actually, uh, there was sin. There were things in their life that they needed to come to God for. And so the people, they had to approach God, they had to go via the priest, so they couldn't go to God direct, they would take their animals to the priest, so they couldn't just sacrifice the animals at home and it be kind of hidden and personal very publicly. They would go to the priest, they would take whatever they had with them, and they would make sacrifices and for their sin, and they would do it frequently. And they pointed to Jesus when they did that. They actually were pointing to a time when sacrifice would end. When in fact we would be made perfect. When we could actually freely meet with God. And like Hebrews says that we could get into the throne room of God in all of who we were and everything that we've done wrong and all the chaos of our life and God would be pleased to see us. We could freely meet him. So that sacrifice is needed And it's needed to point to Jesus. 
And then we keep reading, it says the sacrifice is provided. So uh, we go to verses, uh, we'll just read 5 to 7. It says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said this. He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So, as the author is writing this, and I can imagine him doing it kind of as a sermon as he preached it, he is quoting from Psalm 40. And he is using this psalm and kind of putting it into the mouth of Jesus as a way of summing up what Jesus did, of explaining something about who Jesus was and what he achieved. And effectively is saying, all of those sacrifices, they're not enough. They aren't dealing with the problem. They're actually not changing anything. We have to do something much more significant, much more powerful. Now, have you ever tried to make a big life change? Perhaps to change a habit or to start a new habit, whatever it might be that you might think is good for you. Perhaps you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into debt. My spending is out of control. I need to control my spending. Perhaps you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm putting on weight. I need to lose some weight. Uh, perhaps it's some other bad habit. You're thinking, oh, I need to cut out this habit. I need to stop. And what we can do is we can work on the symptom. Quite simply, you're thinking, I'm spending too much. I need to just concentrate on not spending on things. That's where all my effort is. We think, I'm putting on weight. I need to just concentrate on eating a bit less. That's what I need to do. Or whatever other bad habit is, you think, I'm going to just stop doing it. But actually, progress on that sort of thing only really comes when you do the deep work. Okay, when you really look at what's going on in your heart. So if it is about spending, to, instead of saying, right, I just must stop spending, actually to think, why do I keep spending this money? Why do I feel I need to keep buying these things? What's going on in my heart that causes me to keep doing that? Or perhaps, why do I keep eating too much? Even when I've had enough, I know I've had enough, I still want to eat another biscuit. Why do I, why do, I do that? Or, or whatever the bad habit might be, just think, what, what is the reason that I do this? Why is that? And perhaps it's only when we really dig deep into the why that perhaps we can move forwards and deal with the, the symptoms that come after that. And Jesus came to deal with evil in the world. He came to deal with death. He came to deal with the power of sin. He came to deal with the deep issue that was ruining humanity. That was ruining creation. He came to defeat death and to bring people back into relationship with God. So they could walk into the throne room in all of their mistakes and sin and Jesus would say, it's okay, he's with me and we can be with the Father. Could Jesus do that by killing some animals? Is that going to solve those problems? No, it's not. Could it be achieved by our own effort? We might think, well, I don't kill animals, but by our own effort, by our own religious endeavour, by our own kind of saying, actually, I am better, I'm going to do better. Do those things deal with the big issues by perhaps concentrating harder on loving God or forcing ourselves to read our Bible more often or whatever it might be, to adopt these different behaviour patterns, to think, actually, I'm just going to start talking a bit more like what Christians talk like, that should result 
solve the issues. But does it defeat sin and death? No, it doesn't. Only his sacrifice, his body offered, the perfect life of Jesus, only the sacrifice of that deals with that. And in verse 10, he says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Sanctified is a funny word. We have been made right before God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In other words, by Jesus being obedient, not by us, by Jesus being obedient, going to the cross, offering himself up for us, though we should have gone to the cross, so him swapping us out and putting himself in there means that we get to walk in to the presence of God. So when we believe in him, when we say, Jesus, you are our Lord and Saviour, I declare that you are the Lord of my life, at that moment he absolves us of everything. We sacrifice nothing. He sacrifices everything. We are restored to God. We are made holy. The sacrifice is provided for us. So sacrifice is needed. Sacrifice is provided. And finally, sacrifice is lived out. So at this moment, does this mean we think, great, I'm in, scot-free. That means I never need to think about Jesus or do anything ever again. I'm fine. I'm completely in, no problem at all. Well, let's read just a few verses, 11 to 14. It says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he was perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So I want you to notice two postures in this uh, just little section here. What are the priests doing? It says every day they're standing because the priests, they work hard. They've got a lot of animals to kill, a lot of of sacrifices repeatedly being brought before them, a lot of dealing with all of the leftovers in very particular ways. They are on their feet and working hard. It says daily at his service. Doing something which can never take away sins. But Jesus makes one sacrifice, and then what does it say he does? He sits down. When we think of Jesus, we don't always think of someone who sat down, do you? You kind of maybe think of action man Jesus, or he's got loads going on and he's really busy, and you think when we're praying, oh gosh, has he got time to listen or whatever? The picture here of Jesus is sitting down, and as he sits down, what is he doing? He's waiting. Jesus sits and he waits. This is a fascinating thing. In other words, he's saying, I'm sat down because the work is complete. My sacrifice is enough for all of you. That's why he is sitting. But he's also waiting. So he's saying, my sacrifice does everything. It is complete. But I am waiting for the kingdom to advance. 
And he's sat down waiting for a footstool, which I just think is... I, I can picture him in a big wing-back chair in the throne room of God's. And he's just waiting for the footstool. And the footstool is made of his enemies. What a brilliant footstool that would be. I want one of those for Christmas. I want an enemy footstool. That is what I want. But Jesus is sat there waiting for this. And it's a statement really saying, look, I've done everything. You don't need to do anything. The sacrifice is made. But I am waiting for my kingdom to be fully advanced in this world. Sin and death is defeated. Sin and death is still being defeated. So how does this kingdom advance? How is this footstool brought in front of Jesus? So actually at this point, the Holy Spirit speaks up. Verse 15 says, The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. And the Holy Spirit says this, says, This is the covenant that I will make with them, them being us, by the way, that after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So Jesus makes this sacrifice once and for all, job done, and then the Holy Spirit moves and changes. This law of God, which is the way that God would have us live, is written by the Holy Spirit on our hearts and on our minds. And he does this deep work within us. Remember we were talking about how to really make a change in life you have to do the deep work of thinking why. Well actually, the Holy Spirit does this deep work within us. I was uh, having coffee with a guy this week who's quite new to the church and he was telling me how he became a Christian. It was only a few months ago, I think maybe six months ago. He says, Tim, I became a Christian because uh, a YouTube video popped up. And uh, then it had the sinner's prayer on it, so I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I'm a Christian now. It's like, well, I didn't realize it was that easy. That's amazing. And just become a Christian. And, and he said, look, I've made Jesus the, my Lord and Savior. And I was just nodding. I wasn't prompting. He was just chatting away. And he said, look, there are a whole bunch of things I used to do that were wrong. And he said, I kind of knew that they were wrong, but I, I didn't care. It didn't really make much difference, so I just did them. And he listed all these things he used to do. And like, it wasn't a bank robber or anything like that. It was nothing. So he was just kind of telling, these are the things I used to do that I knew was wrong, and, but I didn't really care, and it was fine. Nobody else really seemed to mind, so I just carried on. And he said, but now, since I've prayed, since I made Jesus my Lord and Saviour, I don't want to do those things anymore. It wasn't, I've, I've realised it's naughty, Jesus is going to be cross. It was genuine, I just don't want to do it. The Holy Spirit was working on him. Actually writing the law in his heart, the law on his mind. To change him. To do what? To actually make him perfect. Now he was sat in front of me, he was not perfect. He isn't perfect and he won't be perfect until he has died and Jesus has restored him fully. But that process has begun. In the book of Acts, in Acts 2, Jesus' friends and his followers, they are waiting in Jerusalem. And they are waiting actually quite near the temple, the temple where all of these sacrifices would be taking place and were still taking place at that moment. And they were waiting because Jesus had told them to. He said, look, just wait in Jerusalem, wait till the Holy Spirit falls on you. And then that is what happened. 
We read it in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and as that happened, they charge into the street. I mean, you can almost, there's 120 of them in a room, you can see them kind of going downstairs and tripping over each other and it being chaos, and um, I'd love to have seen it. And then Peter steps forwards and starts to preach. And there are crowds around them because uh, this group are uh, praying out in tongues and praying out in languages of all of the different people that were there. And so different people are hearing their language and think, how does that person know my language? He's from Galilee. People from Galilee aren't very clever. So they go and listen. And Peter stands up and says, okay, Jesus, who you killed, isn't dead. He's alive. He is your Lord and Saviour. He preaches the gospel to them. And then someone in the crowd shouts at him, says, okay, what should we do? And Peter says, repent, be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit that changes your hearts, changes your minds. This Holy Spirit that helps you to live out this idea that Jesus sacrificed once for all so that you don't need to. This Holy Spirit that reminds you Jesus is sat, not standing, not pacing. Sometimes we think about pacing worried Jesus. No, Jesus is sat in the throne room waiting for his footstool. The Holy Spirit writes that onto our hearts. So CCM, we live in a time... When God chooses to forget your sins, when death and evil are defeated, when the Holy Spirit is given to us, given to all of you here, if you believe in Jesus, to restore you, to repair you. It's a great moment to be alive, that, isn't it? It's a great moment. We might think, oh, what a moment to be alive it will be when COVID is finally finished. What a moment that will be. Nothing compared to this moment. That one sacrifice is enough. Is enough actually to change the whole course of history. Actually, it's enough to change the whole course of your life. To change perhaps how you think about yourself. Perhaps to change how you think about people around you. To change your workplace. Maybe as Jesus and the Holy Spirit work on your heart and your minds, you go to work with a different attitude. You feel uh, different in the place. You are more positive there. Who knows? Maybe to change your community, the street that you live on. As the Holy Spirit works on your heart and your mind, perhaps you notice the person across the street who is hungry and poor or lonely. Perhaps it's uh, to change your family. As the Holy Spirit works on you, the person in your family that's always annoying becomes a bit less annoying and you're able to minister to them a little bit. The Holy Spirit works on you to change your hearts.